Welcome one and all to our second 2023 edition of She Said, She Said. I am your co-host, Lena Stagg, the author of the Recipe Records series of rock and roll cookbooks. They are very unique cookbooks with delicious recipes and of course, delicious song titles to go along with the great recipes that you will find in these books. You will enjoy rattling your pots and pans in the kitchen as you read through the stories and the trivia and the song lists that go along with the recipes. They are quite the party. The recipe records books make a great gift for all weddings and anniversaries, mom, dad, any kind of music lover or food lover. Everyone loves food. It just has a great twist. Um, you can also see for Beatles fans, the recipe records edition is of the culinary edition. <laughs> I am a little bit uh, wonky here. <laughs> it's a culinary tribute to the Beatles, of course. And it features recipes such as she said banana bread, and Strawberry Pie Forever, my favorite recipe from Jude Kessler's wonderful mother, and Mondo Paparazzi Ziti. Um, you are going to love all of these recipes. Check out the Recipe Records cookbook series at my website, lanastag.com. You will also see the, the, the bad boys, the Rolling Scones, Let's spend the bite together. So be sure you take a look at all of them and follow me at Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, here they are, guys, by the way. They're those aforementioned bad boys, the rolling scones. And they are really cool books. This is the Recipe Records uh, Culinary Tribute to the Beatles. They've got stuffed Sergeant Peppers in there. And... Lena came up with this idea long before we had listening devices that you could ask to play music. This didn't exist. So at that time, she suggested that you create a playlist that you could listen to as you were making these recipes. Well, now all you have to do is open, let's say, the 1960s edition, decide what you want to make. And here is if you decided to make House of the Rising Bun you could listen to Irish Bagpipes by Isla St. Clair, House of the Rising Sun by the Animals, America by Simon and Garfunkel, Georgia on My Mind by Ray Charles. She lists all of the songs for you to play while you're cooking and gives you rock and roll trivia. So I am telling you, you will love these babies. If I do say so myself, and who is myself? She's Sutherland Kessler. I, am, I have the distinction of being Lena's Trusty sidekick and the author of the John Lennon series. And um, for those of you who've never heard of the John Lennon series, it's a um, research and documented story of John's life. Started with his birth in 1940. We are now up to almost 1966. It will go all the way through his life. You read it like a story, but everything is researched and documented. But the thing that I'm most excited about besides our guest today, which I am extremely excited about, is the fact that we have just released an audio book of volume three, this big bad boy, 
It's a 33 hour audio book and it's selling for like $15. So for 50 cents an hour, you can travel with the Beatles through 1963 and a part of 1964 where they come to America and they're on Ed Sullivan and New Carnegie Hall and all that stuff. Scott R. McKinley does the narration and the man is a voices expert and he studied the Beatles voices, Brian Epstein's voices, Sid Bernstein, Ed Sullivan, Trini Lopez, uh, Bobby Goldsboro, and he does them all. And it makes me, I mean, I know the story. We all know the story, but it made me break down and cry at parts. It, it made me fall off my chair laughing. He is so good. So I hope that you will. It's on Audible. It's on 44 different um, audiobook sites, including Chirp and Hobo and everything that you can think of, Apple Books, Spotify, whatever, it's there. So go out and treat yourselves to a 33 hours with the Beatles. It is really, really, really fun. So that's my scoop, Lena. <laughs> yes, and we are so proud of you for taking on this endeavor because it wasn't very easy. It Me. took a lot of work to make this book. And I am, the, the older I get, the more computer ridiculous I get. And I was able to even download Chirp onto my phone for free and buy the book and I can listen to it on my phone. And it's, it's a Christmas miracle because not much of all of this technology goes very smoothly for me. So you will absolutely be right there sitting in John's seat as you experience all of the madness that he was going through. It's written, it's brilliant. It, it whole, it's just, um, I can't say enough great things about it. So thank you for doing that, Jude. It was, it was Scott McKinley. That's all I can say. I never dreamed that, that he is beyond good. I, he did Jay Bergen's book, Lennon, the Mobster and the Lawyer. And when I heard it, I was like, oh, wait a minute. This isn't the guy doing John Lennon. This is John Lennon. It, that's how good he is. So, so he's amazing. Well, we are really lucky today. We have got quite, let me just say, let me prepare you guys. Our guest today not only has written many books, which we're getting ready to talk about, but right now his new book with his friend um, and co-author Bob Wilson is number three on Amazon today in Beatles books. <laughs> so tell us more, Elena. That is a great accomplishment. So Don, our very special guest today, Don Jeffries, has already published many interesting and successful books such as Hidden History and Exposé of Modern Crimes, Conspiracies, and Cover-Ups in American Politics, and also on Borrowed Fame, Money, Mysteries, and Corruption in the Entertainment World, which I'd love to read. Yeah, and the one that really touched my heart was um, Bullyocracy, How Social Hierarchy Enables Bullies to Rule Schools, Workplaces, and Society at Large. I mean, I just saw last night someone writing, this is what he wrote. People on, the, on some John Lennon group pages on Facebook are getting out of hand. I am tired of this and I am leaving Facebook. 
And bullyocracy really takes you through how these people have been empowered to hurt other people and in many cases ruin their lives. It is a great, great book. And in his spare time, our guest today in his spare time, uh, he has a very prominent, very popular show on iHeartRadio, The Don and Ella Show, which I have been blessed to be on several times. And um, he has worked hand in hand with Bob Wilson, um, who Bob co-hosts uh, several podcasts. For example, the very popular Tomorrow Never Knows with Warren Brown, and he has a new one called Don't Pass Me By. And he's in the process of writing another book, which I'm not sure that we can share. If we can, Don can tell us more about that. But they came up with this idea together and they've been working on a book about the Paul is dead theory, which was so prevalent in the end of the night, latter part of the 1960s. And it is entitled From Strawberry Fields, to Abbey Road, a Billy Shears story. And so Lena and I are so excited to welcome to the show one half of the, of the great authorship team for this book, Don Jeffries. Hey, Don. Thanks, Fred. That's a wonderful introduction. I don't know how to, uh, how to respond to that, but I appreciate it, Jude. You're too kind. Uh, this, this really was, it's Bob's baby. It's his, it was his idea. Um, I helped him and, and really, it was the easiest book I've ever written because it consists mostly of interviews with a whole lot of people, a lot of people in the music industry. You know, we had Lawrence Juber of Wings, Steve Boone of Love and Spoonful. We had Vera Ramone King, you know, widow of uh, one of the Ramones. Uh, we had Gregory Peck's son, Tony Peck, um, a Sally Kirkland award-winning actress, uh, Susan Olsen, my buddy, Cindy Brady from the Brady Bunch. Uh, lots of people like that and uh, lots of Beatle experts like yourself. You were right before we and you mentioned Warren Warren Brown, who did the uh, cover work, cover art, and uh, so it was. Uh, really, they did most of the work. I, I can't, you know, like I said, I, I write a lot of books, and this was kind of just a labor of love, and it was a lot of fun. So it's nice to see it off to a good start, and hopefully, uh, it will continue to do well. Yeah. Well, tell us, Bob. So, was there any inspiration that? pulled you into it? Was there something that you were fascinated by in this topic? Um, or do you remember this as a young Beatles fan? Um, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I, I was, I was, um, I was always a Beatles. I mean, I, you know, I was, I was very little when the Beatles came in, but I, I was, uh, you know, I, I was seven, I think when they were on Ed Sullivan and, uh, I, um, but I was already a fan, you know, I, I remember hearing, I want to hold your hand on American bandstand. Mm -hmm. And I just, I was, I was a big music fan already. I came to, I came to things pretty early. I had my own stereo and everything. So I, I knew who Ricky Nelson and all these people were. I was listening to records all the time. So the Beatles really kind of were something different. And um, I, I remember waiting in line to see a hard day's night at the movie theater. It came out and I remember watching one Ed Sullivan. So I bought all their early records, and unfortunately, I, I wrote my name and phone number on too many of the jackets, so I'm destroying their worth, but not not really understanding that, uh, you know, the concepts of collectability yet. But, uh, you know, the Beatles, so I still watch, I'm still fascinated by watching, uh, you know, Beatles videos, watching them talk, watching their, I, I'm a, I think like Jude, I'm a, I'm, and like Bob, I, I'm a fan of the early Beatles, you know, the, the Beatle mania that I remember when I was little, and, uh, 
before they got more sophisticated and the critics started loving them a little bit, I like the early stuff. So when I so this was kind of natural for me because uh, I remember I think it was in 1969 when uh, I think I was you know in school and one of the kids just had heard just started talking about this Paul is dead thing and I you know I hadn't heard anything about it so it fascinated me me you know and so I did try to listen to Strawberry Fields backwards and all that uh, I couldn't I couldn't do it right I guess but because I didn't hear anything but. Um, Obviously, the concept fascinated, and I, you know, I think that it was a public relations ploy, and uh, it worked because it, 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 my interest in the Beatles had kind of died out by then, you know, because I, you know, I love the early stuff, you know, I did, I didn't like so much the harder stuff that they were getting into, so this kind of, re, you know, reignited my interest, and in I was, oh, what's going on here? This is pretty weird. Let me look at the clues, and. Uh, that's what we talk about in the book because the clues are real. I, you know, I, I don't think Paul is dead, but the clues that saying here, you know, trying to get people to think he was are definitely real. And I, I have to think that they uh, they knew about them and they put them there because some of them, like the one where you you hold a mirror up and, and you can see on the drum, I think it's Sergeant Pepper, that I, I, me, die or something like that. I mean, that, you have to really work hard to try to think of something like that, you know? So I, I think that... Uh, they knew about it and uh, it's, we're still talking about it. Look, you know, you're talking about over uh, 50 years later. Sure, sure. So you've written investigative books in, yes. um, you know, your past, like um, On Borrowed Fame, Money Mysteries and Corruption in the Entertainment World and Hidden History, an Expose of Crimes, Conspiracies and Cover-Ups in American History. So you have this background. Um, are you an investigator? Are you? Um... <laughs> well, I'm an, I'm an armchair investigator. I'm an armchair historian. I'm a community college dropout. But I, uh, I think I know about more America, about American history than the, the average Harvard professor does because I actually look for the facts. But um, I, I'm interested in history. I've always been interested. And that includes entertainment history as well. That's why I wrote the, the uh, On Barrett Fame. But um, yeah, I never, and I, I'm still, you know, I'm, I've got a couple books that I'm working on now, so I'm always writing, and it's usually in this vein because I, I'm interested in exposing injustice and corruption and unfairness, and that's what motivates me. So th this book is a little different because there's not really any injustice or corruption unfairness in it, I don't think, but it's just kind of a titillating tale, and uh, it, it interests me because I still love the Beatles, and, uh, you know, I, I find them fascinating. Again, we're talking about 50 years, over 50 years after they broke up. And they may still be the most relevant band out there because people are still talking about them constantly. And uh, so they, they, they accomplished a lot in, in what, eight years or something like that as, as, a, you know, as a band uh, that was recording and putting out hits. And uh, so, and now they left this incredible uh, urban legend or whatever you would call it out there as well. And two of them are alive, including the, the man in question, Paul McCartney. So uh, we can talk <laughs> right. about that a little bit if you want. <laughs> well, tell us what you did for the research. How did um, how did you go about researching all of this material? Well, it was easier, much easier than most of my books because uh, again, we had lots of interviews, and the, the bulk of the book are these you know incredible interviews we have with mostly celebrities, and to get you know their thoughts on it uh, and to talk about how what the Beatles meant to them. To get somebody like John Probus who played Timmy on Lassie. 
Uh, people remember, baby members remember him and he was a huge Beatles fan. And, and like many out there, he was in California. So he got to see them live. So, you're, you know, some of these people went to their concerts, you know, that wasn't possible for someone like me. I was too little. Plus they, uh, you know, they weren't around here, but, um, so that, that was the bulk of the work. The research I did, I just, I just generally, uh, went online and, and, uh, looked in some books and I just, you know, put my own spin on things as I usually do. I analyze things and what makes sense to me. And uh, I talked about the history and, you know, there is a, uh, a mystery about Fred Labore, who we interviewed in the book and doesn't do many interviews. And Bob reminded me how, you know, what a big catch it was because he doesn't usually do it, but he is generally given credit for uh, inventing the clues or noticing the clues. I don't think he could have invented them because he, he wasn't, you know, producing the Beatles records, but uh, he noticed a lot of them. And, but again, his story is that he was in the University of Michigan and he heard a, a caller who we don't know who that caller was <laughs> calling mm -hmm. into the station talking about it already. And I, I mentioned in there too, some of the background and people can read it in my introduction about this was already kind of floating out there. There were indications that, that uh, hinting at something like this already. And, uh, you know, it, so it really is, uh, it's not based on nothing, but, you know, I, I have to think it was put out there purposely. So yeah, the research wasn't tough and it was finding, uh, I, ironically, one of the guys I wanted to talk to was Joel Gobert. He's a filmmaker and I had him on my I protest show last Friday. I, he actually asked to be interviewed, but he didn't answer my emails while we were writing this book because he put, he put out, put out um, and I wanted to assure my, with him that it was a mockumentary. He did a really good job on the Paul is Dead thing and uh, kind of made a case that he, you know, that he was dead. But, uh, but it was, as he said, no, that's a mockumentary. So um, I couldn't put him in the book because, you know, he, he didn't show any interest. And then he, he comes on my show after the book's already published. But uh, And then, of course, there's the, uh, which was associated with Joel Gibbard, the last, the last estimate of George Harrison or something, which is supposed to be a recording of George Harrison's voice and talking about how they, you know, they conspired to do this. And, you know, they, 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 uh, they, they replaced him with a duplicate. And the same thing. Paul Wingo has left supposedly things like that. And again, that was another kind of uh, hoax or whatever. So I don't know. And I, I point out there, you know, again, I, I, although I obviously don't believe you talk about an elaborate conspiracy, what, what would have been involved here. But uh, Paul mm -hmm. McCartney, on the occasions he has addressed it, usually he's, he's kind of not really angrily dismissed it. Don Lennon and George Harrison did it a little more angrily. That's really stupid. How can people believe anything that's stupid? But then, of course, John Lennon on the White Album, he's singing Glass Onion. You know, here's another clue for you. All the walrus is Paul. So he's still throwing it out there. And uh, McCartney uh, talked to, you know, when he was trying to excuse a couple of the really glaring things out there, one of them, of course, is the, uh, when the, I think it was through the video of Your Mother Should Know from the Magical Mystery Tour, when they're all dancing around these elaborate production numbers and they all have red roses and he has a black rose. Of course, people said, okay, well, that means he's dead, right? Why would he have a black rose? But so his, his explanation was people asked about, well, we ran out of red roses. Well, the problem is throughout the course of the video, they're all throwing you know, roses, red roses around out of wheelbarrow. So that can't be the explanation. And then on Abbey Road, as I'm sure you see in the iconic figure, they're all walking across the street and John Lennon's supposed to be the, the, uh, the preacher and and uh, Ringo, I guess, is the, the mourner, and uh, George Harrison's a grave digger, and Paul's a corpse. He's not wearing any shoes. So people asked him about that, and his explanation made no sense. He said, well, it's a really hot day, 
So I uh, kicked my flip-flops off. I walk across a, a burning hot pavement with bare feet. So those are the kind of things that make you wonder. I, you know, again, I, I'm sure they're just, <clears throat> he's just putting it out there maybe to keep it going. I don't know. That's, that's the only things he's really put out there on the record about it. Wow. You know, when the Beatles were in Hamburg, so they started at the Indra in the, the dark end of the Reaper Vine. And they, it was a horrible place. It was a strip club. Nobody wanted them there. All the guys who'd been going to the strip club were not happy that British boys were replacing the strippers. And, but they did such a good job that they got popular enough that in about a month they were going to move them. So they're standing on the sidewalk with their equipment waiting for a van to come take their stuff down to Kaiser Keller. And they say, we got to come up with a story about this because it's boring to say we got so popular that they moved us. So why don't we say that we got so raucous and loud and wild that the little old lady that lives above the Indra had us reported to the police and had us evicted? Well, that's a great story, except for the fact that the little old lady was deaf. So, uh, they're not averse to coming up with publicity right right well i think that's i think that's uh especially lenin you know lenin despite his criticism of capitalism i think he was a really great entrepreneur and i think he 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 really knew how to promote something you know there, there are people who think he said what he said about jesus maybe just get a lot of negative attention but it sure brought attention and uh lenin he, he was constantly saying provocative things. And I think that uh, that to me, it has, it has him written all over it. I just, and I, I don't know. I, this is just speculation. So please, anybody listening out there, I obviously have no idea. Okay? I, if I'm speculating, I'm thinking that Lenin, especially in 1969, despite people look back now, and of course, that uh, I said White Album came out in 68 or whatever. So they were off it, but they were, they were winding down. And of course, we know, you know, Let It Be was kind of a, Abbey Road, of course, is considered, uh, you know, I guess, I guess Abbey Road would have come out maybe after that, right? I'm not sure how it was along, along the uh, the timeline here, but however you look at it, like I said, the little kids, I wasn't that little, that I was like 11, but kids like me, um, my interest had already waned in the Beatles. I got caught up in the Beatle mania, you know, I loved the early stuff, but then they were sounding different, you know, and to me, I mean, I was hearing, and I wasn't sophisticated enough musically, really to understand that maybe that was better. You know, I, I liked, you know, I liked, yeah, 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 and she loves you. You know, that was that's what excited me as a little kid. So I think there were a lot of people like that. So I think this did reignite interest at a time when maybe interest in the Beatles was waning. And I, you know, to whatever degree he could have, we know Lennon had his issues at that time. And uh, but I have to believe that this was something that they decided, much as you talked about the little old lady upstairs, that uh, maybe they said, I, I don't think anybody else was involved, but the Beatles were marketed so well from the very beginning. And I talked about that one on Board Fame, that marvelous marketing campaign they had uh, when they were coming. I kind of remember it myself as a little kid. They, they would put these uh, the picture, they put these cardboard cutouts in all the record stores. And it started with the back of their heads. And then like the next week they would turn it, you know, 30 degrees or something. And so, and so, and eventually by the time they got here, you could see their faces. I mean, that was an incredible marketing campaign that, that uh, Brian Epstein was thinking up. So, and, and we know with the, with the girls, it certainly it became a real thing uh, uh, eventually. 
but it started out where they were paying girls to scream and make this attention to begin with. And, you know, people follow once they did. I mean, that was a really great idea. It, it kind of, you know, it, it created pandemonium. So they were marketed all, all along the way. So this is not something that would be that much out of the ordinary. It's just that, and somebody was at, I think, on the coast to coast when I was, they were talking about, well, how at this point, so could they ever admit it? I don't know. Probably not. It's not like it, it's not, it didn't do anything illegal. It's not like it's a crime, but maybe at this point they don't, they think they might look bad if they said that they pulled something over on the public. I mean, I, I, I would personally kind of think it was, you know, ingenious, but, uh, but again, that's my opinion. I, I, just, I just don't think there's any other way to look at it than, than that. Yeah. Well, the mystery of the book is not just within the pages of the book, but it's also on the cover of the book, which is very symbolic and a little enigmatic and very artistic. Tell us about the cover. Do you happen to have a copy of the book there? You could hold up. Oh, we have we haven't gotten our copies yet, no. So I don't I, I don't have any. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I don't either. But tell us tell us a little bit about it. Well, Warren Brown, as you know, who you know, and. Uh, who Bob worked with as the uh, producer for the Tomorrow Never Know show for a long time. He's quite the artist. And so he was a logical choice to do it. And uh, we obviously like the way he did it. So, and it looks like, you know, it seems like uh, everyone else does as well. So obviously he, you know, he can do things that, uh, you know, no one else I know can, especially with something like the Beatles, because this is a subject that's, you know, you and Bob, uh, he's, uh, you know, this is kind of his genre. So he probably... Yeah. I don't know what other artwork, he, how his other artwork compares, but I would imagine he probably loves the Beatles artwork the most. So he probably, you know, does his best work. Yeah, you can follow him on the Tomorrow Never Knows Facebook page. He's a graphic artist and he can take images and superimpose them and move them around and blend them into one. He's, he's absolutely incredible at doing that. And the cover of the book is the Sergeant Pepper jacket. And what are the other images that are on it, Don? Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, well, God, you're asking me. I mean, with the, the, well, the back of it is almost like the, the same that you would see on Sergeant Pepper, which is, again, one of the clues, isn't it? That why is Paul, why is Paul have his back to the camera? That's kind of an odd thing. You know, most, very few celebrities don't want to have their, you know, their face front and center. So it's kind of an odd thing that he was one of the chosen. And, and the the, uh, the front is just kind of a depiction, I think, of the guitar. And I'm, you know, I don't have it memorized yet. I, and I don't have a copy of it. <laughs> so I'm still waiting for that. So I haven't looked at it enough. See, I, on my, you know, behind me, I have all, you know, all my books pretty much, but not that one because I don't have a copy of it yet. So uh, when will it be out? When can, can people go ahead right now and order oh, it? Oh, yes, they, they can yeah. buy it. Yeah, they can, they can get it now. Uh, it's just we haven't gotten our copies yet, so uh, I've so it's actually out before. That's happened, I think, once before today. But uh, so, you know, it depends on the publisher. But um, so yeah, they can they can order it now. It's out there at all the usual places. I think you can still. It's published by Bear Manor Media, and I think they said something about if you go to Bear Manor Media itself and uh, order it there, that there's a ten percent discount or something. I, I don't know. That's I think it's still there, but of course it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and, you know, all the other uh, places. I always tell people for all my books, I just tell them to shop for the best deal. You know, the, the difference in what we get out of it as writers is negligible. So, you know, you get the best deal you can. We just appreciate it. 
That's true. That's so true. Well, what have we not talked about that you would love people to know? Something that we haven't touched on that you would love people to know about the book? What I'd love people to know. Well, uh, again, I I think most of the people that are familiar with the work are kind of probably be surprised that I wrote something like this or co-wrote it because it really doesn't, although there, obviously there's a controversy there, but it's not the usual kinds of controversies that even like even in my entertainment book on Bard fame, I was dealing with lots of questions of corruption, you know, and unsolved deaths that, you know, what really happened, you know, that all these people, John Lennon, including John Lennon, of course, and I wrote a lot about that there. But um, in this one, I'm not really, I'm coming out pretty much and saying, I don't want to have any spoilers, but neither Bob or I, you know, believe that that uh, all is dead. Although, again, we nothing's impossible, but it would have to be uh, the most in, in, incredible feats in the history of the world to find someone that looked, just, that looked exactly the same and could write these songs. And, you know, I, I think probably the main point that I've made, I think I made it, I made it in the book and I, I made it on Coast to Coast. And um, the host liked it there is that my takeaway from it is if you believe that Billy Shears or w William Campbell, whoever, took over for Paul McCartney, you would have to say, and you and I have talked about this year because you and I love John. John's our boy, you know, and that's, that's my guy. So it's no accident that I still love the early Beatles because that was the John centric period. John was the unquestioned leader. He dominated the songwriting, he dominated the singing. Those are my favorite songs because I like him the best. So, um, and then his, his, you know, he did wasn't as prolific later for you know, drugs and vocal came along and all that, that really slowed him down and Paul filled the void, but was it Paul? Because, you know, if you, if you look at the timeline, if Paul died in 1966, you would have to say that Billy Shears or William Campbell was the one that took the Beatles over because it kind of coincided with when Paul became the leader of the Beatles and John took a back seat. And became the the you know look at uh, Abbey Road or uh, but White Album he rules. Well, he is White Album. The White Album has plenty enough, of John on it. Yeah, he has fourteen the, tracks. So the White Album has plenty. <laughs> it was still split up a lot, but and I think that was almost like the last big output from John, other than like Across the Universe, which is maybe his last great song of the year. Uh, but if you look at like uh, Sergeant Pepper's. Our magical mystery tour. Those are those are dominated by Paul. I mean, John still has you know, uh, uh, in the life obviously you know, an incredible song. But again, he has that middle eight is, is Paul. But uh, so you would have to say, God, whoever this guy was was better than Paul McCartney, because he he wrote all these you know, Let It Be and Long and Winding Road and all, all these songs that people think of now. So I, I that's what I took away from it. Just thinking about it is that. If you believe this, you would have to say that the imposter was more talented, was a more prolific songwriter, and was uh, was able to to be, um, I guess, of alpha it might, enough. It might explain honey pie. Yeah, well, well, yeah, well it's the, the, the one the one the one thing about the the argument that you know because I you and I've talked about this before too. I have a lot of problems with McCartney's uh, solo career, especially. But, uh, and I've never seen anybody that wrote so many great songs, but also wrote so many songs that I hate. <laughs> I really hate. And, uh, you know, silly love songs, let him in, coming up. I know. And I know some people like those songs, but I just, I just roll my eyes when I hear that. And I know John Lennon did as well. And, I, and that was like a sort, kind of a bone of contention between them. But 
was it the same person? So if someone want to make that argument with me, well, well maybe that's the, that's the new guy. You know, that's that's he, and this is the way he writes. But I don't know. You know, it's it's. Um, but I think it's fun to look at it that way because they're you know, like you said, Honey Pie, whatever these ones. There, there's a lot of those songs where you just kind of. Oh. <laughs> Or the whole concept of magical mystery tour. That Billy Shears, what was he thinking? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and you know, and, and of course, Billy Shears is mentioned, you know, in the song. Yeah, probably, it's, yeah, yeah. They're, they're kind of allude to him being Ringo. So yeah, yeah. they're talking about Billy Shears. So, yeah. But I don't know. And then fun. you have the whole, yeah, it is fun because you have a whole, I've seen videos where I, because I get it mixed up, Billy Shears and William Campbell, I think they're the same person. Oh, but then there's, one of them is supposedly still alive and they supposedly have visited his home, but it's, it can't be obviously Paul or the, the fall. And uh, they like supposedly went to his house and like caught him and and he was just like kind of smiling at them like, are you really Paul McCartney? So I don't know how that fits in because then who would the other guy be? So it, it's, it's kind of convoluted, but you know, that's the nature of conspiracy theories. But we here, we are here to say JDs and Lentz that we are kidding around about this stuff. We're just having a laugh. We're not dissing Paul. And we have no idea one way or the other if Paul is dead or Paul is alive. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, and I, look, I, I get in trouble with all the stuff I talk about in conspiracies and everything. I said, look, I have no theories. I'm just presenting, I'm just telling you facts. I don't speculate. And a claim to, to know for sure anything. I don't know what the hell is going on about a lot of stuff. So like, sure, it'll know about this. But uh, it, I, I, I'm just saying that it's it would have to be really. Re and I think we need to look at it too. What was the motivation? Because it's not like there weren't other big rock stars that died. I mean, rock stars were dying a lot in the early to mid '60s. Buddy Holly, starting with Buddy Holly, uh, and you had you know a lot of Patsy Cline. There was a big country star. Uh, uh, lots of uh, uh, songs, uh, lots of people, uh, Johnny uh, Burnett, that, that had hit certainly not, not at Paul McCartney's level, but uh, Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones, they didn't institute a cover up for him. Now, McCartney was more, I guess, uh, instrumental to the Beatles than Brian Jones was maybe to the Stones, although he founded them and gave them their name. And, um, but, you know, why would they feel that this is like unprecedented? They would have to, you know, pretend that he didn't die and hire so the whole the whole thing is very kind of weird that that you would do because you could arguably say that most of the time we saw it after when john lennon died his record sold like hotcakes same thing with elvis and lots of the what when uh, jim croce one of my favorites i mean he was kind of a marginal figure until he died and then he went through the roof and so it's a good career move <laughs> so uh in the case of the beatles uh I don't, I don't quite understand because, you know, they, they might have been able to even play off of that and get even more attention that, uh, you know, that, and, you know, replace them with whoever. But, you know, certainly John was still there and can, could and George could have stepped up and, and written, uh, written a lot more songs. So I, I don't really understand why they would have found it necessary to do that. So the, 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 the really the essential part of the theory makes little sense to me because it's, it, it's no, it never happened before and nobody else ever tried to You'd have more said so you have some people claiming some celebrities fake their death, you know, from Elvis to Tupac Shakur and Andy Kaufman. That's been out there. But this is the only case I know of where uh, death happened and they covered it up and replaced him with, uh, you know, <laughs> with a, an exact lookalike. 
is really yeah. stands alone by itself. It's really intriguing. And I think people are going to enjoy because Lawrence Juber, I believe, is one of the people yes. that that yeah. wrote for your book. Yeah. Yeah. And not to mention Ivor Davis, who yes, Ivor Davis. the Beatles in 1964 and 1965. Yes, yes. I knew Paul quite well. He's chimed in on it. So we've got some people who really know or knew, depending on which side of the fence you're on, Paul. Yeah. And I think it will be well worth people's time to read this. So tell us where people can get the book and how they can follow both Bob and you on social media. Because Bob Wilson is the co-author of this. We want everyone to know. We wish Bob could have been with us today, but yes. he couldn't. And we are, he is in our thoughts. Well, Bob, Bob is the, is uh, is is not quite as out there as I am. You know, I I I <laughs> I never say no to anybody, and I'm always in front of the camera. So it doesn't matter to me. Uh, Bob's a little more reclusive, but this was his idea, and I don't want people. This is really his his idea for the book, and he's at the heart of it. He's not as um, present on social media as I am. He's on Facebook. You can find I don't know, but of course it's a common name. But I, I I'm not Bob sure Wilson. what he's in. Bob, Bob, Bob Wilson. Yeah. So if you yeah. if you find it, you can put that link up. But I'm all over the place. I don't think Bob's anywhere else. I don't think he's on Twitter or anything like that, but uh, certainly his, he hopes to bring his uh, show back. I know Beatles show. And when I, I'm going to go to another uh, radio network at some point here down the road, maybe we're going to try to see if we can get a show on there, but I don't know when that'll be. I'm on my website is Donald Jeffries at media. I write very uh, frequently on Substack, and I ask people to subscribe to me there. It's Donald Jeffries at Substack.com. It's the last free speech platform. That I have on shadow band everywhere else. I'm on Twitter at Don Jeffries. You can follow me there, but they take followers away from me constantly. Not a conspiracy theory. I had somebody the other day tell me, you know, I've had to follow you eight different times, at least. So uh, they do it. They really do that. So they hold they hold back what people like me can do. Same thing with Facebook. I've got the maximum amount of friends there, but if I post something controversial, or even if I just like when I if I want to promote it, even the Beatles book. They really hold down who sees it. Yep, I posted something about my mom on Mother's Day yesterday, and I can get hundreds of responses. The algorithm knows what I'm trying to do, and if I'm trying to talk about something controversial, or if I'm just trying to promote something, anything like a, a book writing, a, a, an interview, anything like that, it holds it back. So I ask people to please subscribe to me on Substack, Donald Jeffries at Substack.com. That's that's one place I am growing and. Uh, you can find out everything there because I promote everything there now because I have to. Can't promote too much on Substack. So I'm easy to if you if you do a search for me, you'll probably find out more than uh, you want to know. Okay, that's that is great. And book is on Amazon and all yes. booksellers, right? They can yes. they can do that. Well, this has been interesting, Lena. I mean, does this bring back a lot of memories? Yes, it certainly does. This is quite a controversial topic, and um, I've done done some reading on it and uh, myself, and and uh, there's a lot of information there. And I really find the topic intriguing, Don. And I think you did a great job of um, of laying out. The, the facts and allowing people to form their own opinion. Um, my, my opinion is it's hogwash, but who am I to say? <laughs> oh, no, you've done yeah. it now. <laughs> hey, this is, my, this is my attempt to get some publicity here. 
<laughs> I only know about the guy behind me. That is all I know. <laughs> you know about him. <laughs> John, John, and more, John. <laughs> so, Don, will you be appearing at any of the Beetle festivals that are coming up. There are several. Abbey Road on the River, and um, if they come to the Washington D.C. area, I would I don't travel well at all. So if they come in this area, I'll be there. But if I have to travel somewhere, I, you know, I I don't go to JFK conference or anything like that. I'll do Zoom stuff. But uh, I, I'm just a really bad traveler because I, I don't. I barely sleep in my own bed, so I just don't sleep well. And uh, if I go somewhere strange, I, I'm not going to sleep. So. Sure. Turns out to be a miserable experience if you can't that, sleep. That right? sounds very familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, it was a delight to have you here, and we wish you and Bob Wilson all the success in the world on this topic. I think it sounds like a, a tremendous book. I can't wait to see it and uh, relish in Warren Brown's cover. He is quite an artist. So, yes, what a what a fantastic project that you've had. Well, it was on. wonderful meeting you, and, and you, you and Jude are competing with each other for beautiful smiles. You're both smiling all the time. It's, it's, it's great to talk to people that are always smiling. I love that. Well, we had a great, great time. It has been so much fun, and truly, everybody, we are just joking around and having a great time. None of us have any clue about whether this was real or not real, or and we'll never know. I'm guessing it's one of those mysteries that we will it will never, we'll never have a definitive answer on, but if you want to look at some other things that we will never have a definitive answer on, look at some of Don's other books too. Yes. They're, I kind of specialize in those subjects. Yes, they're very interesting, very intriguing books, and we, we do invite you to take a look at those. Don, thank you so much for giving us your time today. It's always a pleasure, Jude. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Don. Thank you. Take care. So that winds up another episode of She Said, She Said, and Jude and I are excited to announce that we just won our 10,000 downloads badge. Woo! <laughs> so we sincerely appreciate all of you that listened to the podcast over the last six years and who have taken the time to share all of our adventures Speaking of adventures, Jude and I have a new adventure coming up in a couple of weeks. We are going to be at Indiana's most historic gym, The Pit, in Evansville, Indiana. This has become my other life and has put all of my cookbooks on the back burner, so to speak. Um, if you want to drop by The Pit on Saturday morning, June 3rd, Jude and I will be there. And we will be signing books. The proceeds from the books will go to support the Pitt Power Team, who is competing in July, I think July 8th, in Las Vegas. They are the, um, the largest team coming from one gym in the nation. And we're very proud to have um, these very, very strong men uh, competing on behalf of our gym. So come and see Jude and I. We'll be on the on the sides, not doing lifting things. We will be signing things and talking to people about the Beatles and food. So we would love to see you there. June 3rd, the Pitt Barbell Club in Evansville, Indiana. Until then, here's to food for thought, 
food for the soul and food for the love of rock and roll. Draw and shine on.